As we turn our hearts to God's word, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles with me to a really interesting passage of scripture. It was written uh, by Peter, the Apostle Peter, and he's talking about the words of the Apostle Paul. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. And um, I'm going to guess that some of you can relate to me on this one. You saw an advertisement for a movie. You know, one of those advertisements like this, where it has these great declarations of how awesome the movie is, right? Usually it's one word, maybe two words. I love these. Like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. This is fantastic. It's time to hand out the Oscars. Then you put those, or you actually go to the movie, right? And then you realize it wasn't that great. So you think, what were these people thinking? And if you did some research, and if you could actually see what they said, it might look something a little bit more like this, right? This is the best movie I've seen all year because it's the only movie I've seen all year, right? This was a fantastic movie as long as you're not looking for plot or character development, right? So, so, so you know what's happening, right? Like, like this is really important, actually, as we consider what it means for us to study God's word. And that's what we're going to focus in on is rightly handling the word of truth through our Discover series that God has challenged each and every one of us to be able to understand and study his word for ourselves. And one of the ways that we can seek to understand the truth of God's word is to put it back into its context. To understand that every verse in God's word is inspired by God and is profitable. But it's also essential for us to understand that it was written on purpose, for a purpose. Even though it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's important for us to understand that there's work involved in us accurately handling the word of truth. And one of the ways that we can do that is by being people who are willing to put truth back into its original context. How many of you are familiar with the passage of scripture that Jesus, when Jesus articulated to the wealthy young ruler, go sell all you have and give it to the poor. You guys are familiar with it. We've heard it before, right? So it's possible that someone, this is why we need to hear this sermon this morning, is that it's possible that someone would stand in a pulpit in front of you and they would say, God's word says to you, you should go sell all you have and give it to the poor. Maybe you want to give it to the church in that process. I, I know some poor people. Sell all you have, give it to the poor. And that's how you obey God's calling in your life. Well, what we've done when we do that is we've taken that passage of scripture, we've quoted scripture, Matthew, Jesus taught this, but what we've done is we've plucked it out of its context and we recognize that, that really Jesus was speaking to a young man who desperately needed to hear this because he wanted to obey God. And God's call might be for you to sell something precious to you, to give to the poor, but it might not be. And so what happened is that that person could potentially be manipulating scripture to allow it to say what he wants it to say. I can say that today, this is probably more dangerous in our culture today, is that there are others that stand outside us. My children are experiencing this in their lives right now. There's people who look at Christianity and they say to us things like, well, if you don't obey all of scripture, how is it that you can say that you value scripture? So, so I noticed when we walked in today that none of you greeted me with a holy kiss, right? None of you did. Uh, I'm, some of you are like, yeah, I'm glad I didn't greet him with a holy kiss, but you guys know that in Corinthians, the apostle Paul says to the church to greet one another with a holy kiss. We're going to talk about this later, but it's essential for us to understand keeping our heads involved in the process that accurately handling the word of truth means that we're able to identify when something's cultural 
and when something is an absolute mandate. So let's go to what Julia shared um, when she was setting up that time of worship. What a beautiful time of worship, right? And she reads from Psalm 33. Some of you read it with her. She reads from Psalm 33 to declare praises to the Lord, right? And one of the statements was with a 10-stringed lyre, right? And, and some of you are looking at us, and you're like, where's their lyre, right? I don't even know what a lyre is, um, and so were we in disobedience to what God has called for us to do through the psalmist in Psalm 33? I'd say no. And the reason why is that in those days, we don't even know what the 10-string lyre really looks like, to be honest. But, but in those days, what, what King David was doing in this beautiful psalm is that he's saying, I want you to praise my name with everything you got, Right? And so ours might be through a digital keyboard, right? And drums in the background. And what we just did together is that we said, Lord, I want to give you my whole heart as I sing praises to you. And so 10-string lyre, awesome. We don't even know what it is. But what we chose to do was to lift his name high so we can be in obedience to the truth of God's word. We can be faithful to it, but it doesn't always mean that we do it in exactly the same way that we understand it. Do you guys understand why that's so important? is that there are people on the outside of the church that say, we're compromising then. There's people on the outside of the church that are saying, you don't value the authority and truth of God's word. And so today, we're going to look at something that's really important as we study God's word together. And that is, we need to, we talked about it last week, make great observations of the text. And then we also need to accurately interpret scripture. We need to be able to be people. God's given us the, the tools that we need to be people who understand the Bible in order to interpret it accurately. So some of you are like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, it takes a lot of work. It's difficult. But if you say that you value the truth of God's word, it requires you to move into the step of interpretation. I mentioned turning with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, 14. This is a great passage of scripture. Um, it, it's, it's great on so many levels. So let's read this together. It says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as your beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom that was given to him. So, so he, here the, the apostle Peter is talking about the scripture that has been written by the apostle Paul. It's fascinating that it uses that language of scripture. And here he's talking about him. And I think this is kind of funny. Do you guys notice that sometimes when we have something really mean to say about somebody that we have the tendency to say something like, oh, um, bless their hearts, but... No, or, or I love them to death. I don't even know what that means. Love them to death, but it almost looks like the Apostle Paul's kind of, or Peter's throwing some shade at the Apostle Paul here where he's like, we don't even know what he's talking about, right? Like he's, he says really hard things. Uh, but I want to assure you that's not what's happening here in the text. He says, as he does in his letters, it's interesting, as he does in all of his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are really hard to understand. Let me, let me just make this message this morning relevant to us or remind you why this is all relevant. Every one of us have studied God's word at different times. We've read passages of scripture and we have come through there going, I have no idea what they're talking about, right? This doesn't make any sense. Well, I don't know what they meant by this or it was in a genre we didn't get or it was in a context that we didn't understand. And 
And here Peter's saying this about Paul's writings that were relatively close to the time period that he lived and in those things. And yet he goes on um, and he helps us to understand something that is essential. The first point this morning is understanding the Bible, accurately understanding the Bible requires handling with care. It requires us to be people who are deliberate about how we study it. In fact, what he says in chapter, um, in this chapter of chapter three, verse 16, the second portion of it, he says, the ignorant and the unstable will twist the scripture for their own destruction. If you're not paying attention in the world that we live in right now, there are people who want to rip out pages of scripture and say it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter anymore. That was, that was for a different time. Things that are massive truths in scripture like heaven and hell and eternity and, and things about human sexuality and things that are very difficult for us to read and wrestle with. But it's important for us to understand the way that they're doing that at times can be something that the way Peter describes it is leading to their own destruction. I've said this story before. I'll keep telling it because it's so stupid funny. But when I was a kid and I got the Halloween costume with, with um, uh, Superman, you know, the little plastic one and the mask and all those things. And I climbed up on my roof because I thought that I could fly. Uh, and that, and my, my quick descent to the ground proved that I could not fly. Me believing that I could did not matter at all, right? You guys understand that, right? So, so twisting scripture, taking it out and trying to say, I want it to say what I want it to say means that it's not scripture anymore, right? What we've done is we've done surgery to get it to be twisted to say what we want to say, and it leads to our own destruction. It literally says in verse 16, they do this with the other other scriptures as well. So here we're talking about Paul's writings. And here, Peter's already calling them scripture. And he's saying this, is, this applies to the other scriptures as well. It says this in verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care. Like I said, it needs to be handled with care. That you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. Psalm 1 describes this as a person who's just tossed in the wind. Who who got their ear last. Verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So no one said this is going to be easy. He says, take care. Some will want to use the false interpretation of scripture to deceive, to justify sin, to unsettle your trust in God. Literally, the text says, lose your own stability and like we said in Psalm 1, be tossed in the wind. I would guess that for most of us, we've given it a try to study God's word, maybe go from the front to the back, and, and we hit a point when it gets difficult and we just give up. Today's encouragement to you is don't give up. Do the work to understand the truth of scripture for yourself. The second point this morning is the Bible is unlike any other book that you will ever read. I'll say that again. Bible's not like any other book that you will ever read. It is unique in its inception, how it began. We use this word when we seek to understand the inspiration of Scripture, that it is God-breathed, that this is God's idea, that he carried on the original authors through his, his divine power to instill with them through the power of the Holy Spirit the truth of Scripture. It says this in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God, 
and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So it's unique in its inception, and it's unique in its purpose, its thrust, its ability to change our lives. It says, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's, it's unique in its capacity as well. You know, I, I had a person who shared with me in high school, I've shared this from the pulpit before, that when I was in high school, in a public school, I had a, a person who uh, was one of my teachers, I think it was a French teacher, she asked me to write a paper about the 10 reasons why you cannot trust the Bible, <laughs> why the Bible is not true. And for some of you, you're like, well, that's weird, isn't it, for a French teacher? It is weird for a French teacher. She was being intentional. Uh, she knew that I was involved in leading Bible studies at the school and different things. She really wanted me to um, find that I cannot trust God's word. But you know what I chose to do? And this is my challenge for each one of us, is I just decided to take this personally. And the first thing I had to ask myself was, why do I believe that the Bible is true? Is it because my youth pastor says that it's true? Or is it because I believe that it's true? And I remember wrestling with that. And how did we get it? And, and I'm gonna talk with you a little bit about the uniqueness of scripture. It's unlike any other book you've ever read. In, it, in its writing, it's one that is complex. But in that process of understanding scripture, one of the things that I found is that, is that I can trust God's word, that I can trust it as being authoritative, that it's powerful, that, that it was one that the Lord used his Holy Spirit to help to inspire those original authors to write it. Sometimes he used visions like John and Revelation, where there was a powerful vision that God used. Other times, it's similar to what we see in 2 Peter chapter 121, this, the second passage on the screen. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. It wasn't their idea. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the process that we call inspiration. We, we say that the Holy Spirit superintended this, that God breathed it. So these authors continue to write according to their style and their personalities. That You read Luke and Acts and you see that this good physician, he sees things through the perception of a good physician, but all the while he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. The, the scriptures that you and I understand, it's unique in its inception, it's also unique in its structure and format, that, that, that the scripture was written in a very unique way and in a very unique time period. And it's important for us to remember that it was written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, and it was written on, um, in a time period where we didn't have pieces of paper, where we didn't have leather-bound books, where we didn't have inks that could last forever. And so, unfortunately, the earliest manuscripts of God's word were written uh, in, in a format that we don't have those copies. And for some of us, that's really difficult, those original copies. We want to we wanna see the original copies of Scripture. And for some, that has discouraged them to the point where they've said, can we trust God's Word? And there's this wonderful story that came out back in 1946 that there were many questions about the authority of Scripture. Can we trust it? Is it reliable? And then in 1946, there were a group of, of there were two shepherd boys that were out in a field and um, in the, the Dead Sea area. And one fell into a cave and, and he heard a crunch. Thankfully, it wasn't his bones, but it was some ceramic pots that ended up containing manuscripts, seven different caves they'd later find that contained thousands of manuscripts of scripture. And, and what they found was over time were complete 
complete versions of the book of Isaiah and other parts of the Old Testament. And, and you know what they found when they were questioning, is scripture reliable? Can we trust it? You know what they found out? Is that it is completely reliable that these manuscripts, some of them dating back to 100 years before Christ to 300 years after Christ, that these manuscripts, when they study them, they start to go, wow, this is incredible. This has been so well preserved. So when we think about God's word, it's also appropriate for us to understand that God protected and preserved his word over time. And so these individuals who originally wrote this scripture, it was inspired by God without error in its perfect, perfect form as it was given to us. What's beautiful is later on those scribes, can you imagine this job? Some scribes would spend all day writing down scripture and then afterwards somebody would come through and count every word, every jot and tittle of what they wrote and if it wasn't accurate, if it didn't add up perfectly, they'd scrap it and start over again. It's amazing. The process of preserving and protecting and caring for God's word would leave us to be able to trust its trustworthiness. What you're seeing on the screen there on the left side is ancient, uh, one of the manuscripts, I believe it's Isaiah, ancient manuscript that carried with it um, the book of Hebrews. So, or, I mean, sorry, it was written in Hebrew. So it's right to left. There's no vowels in Hebrew, in ancient Hebrew. And so you get a sample of what that would have looked like from, from so many years before, dating back to the first century AD. On the, on the right side there on the screen, you see on the darker brown is um, Greek. And with Greek, those original all capital letters, one of the things that you might notice when you see that is, is that those, those letters kind of ran together and that's how they wrote the original text. So what you're noticing there, some of you are looking at your, your English Bibles and you go, hey, there's not those numbers at the top. Hey, uh, there's, there's not those divisions that we have. In fact, those divisions would come much later. And um, in that process, somebody uh, made the joke that the person who made those divisions, um, that they must have been on horseback facing backwards when they did it, uh, because sometimes it doesn't completely make sense. So uh, by way of encouragement, and this might, you're like, Sean, you have weird ways of encouraging us. I just want to remind you of this. So this might be a copy of your first page of your Bible in Genesis. And if I asked you, what is God's word here? Um, it's important for you to remember that they have a lot of commentary in our Bibles, many of them. And so you can look at this and I would say that this is, it's helpful for us to understand that this is scripture. We'll zoom in on it and let me just comment as well that as you look at this Genesis 1 statement that um, those numbers even and the divisions like the creation of the world that was not in the original text. So we pull this down. We understand now that this is scripture, um, a translation of the scripture that was originally recorded for us. And it allows us to understand that, that these divisions, uh, while they were put in, can lead us to some unhelpful conclusions. Let me give you a quick example of that. So the first one I'd like to, to pull up, First um, John chapter 1, 9 and 10. So, so um, remember those numbers were divided later about the time of the printing press. And so when those numbers were inserted in, like in this context, you can kind of tell that, that verses 9 and 10 of First John, that they, um, they really are saying something very similar to what's said in First John 2, 1 and 2. And so we want to be careful about ignoring the, or depending too much on those verse divisions. Another example of this is the actual uh, breakdown of the punctuation in a verse. Like, look at this next one. It's interesting. In Ephesians 1.4, you look at this whole verse and you say, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy 
and blameless before him in love. That in love is a little confusing. What do you mean? Uh, and so, so you try to guess what's that mean? Well, if we put it back in its textual context, what we understand is that he goes on to say he predestined us for his adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That in love is the love of Christ. And it helps us to understand what he's saying. So God's word is unique. It's, it's, it, this is just a scratch on the surface. Those of you who are students of God's word to be able to say, yeah, it was unique in its, in its recording. It's unique in its um, ability for us to format it, to understand its formatting. In fact, it's appropriate for us to say this, of the 66 books of the Bible written over 1,500 years and uh, with about 40 different divinely inspired authors, one of the things that I praise the Lord for is that it still tells one story of redemption, right? You guys with me? In the 66 books of the Bible, written over a span of 1,500 years in three different languages by 40 different divinely inspired authors, it tells one beautiful story of redemption. And we can trust it. It's reliable. It is unique in its relevancy and its authority. I love that it's described in Hebrews 14, 12 as God's living word. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing uh, to the division of the soul, of the spirit, of joints and marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It is a mirror that reflects to us what we understand and don't understand about ourselves and about the God of the universe. This leads us to the third point this morning, and that is accurately interpreting Scripture means accurately understanding Scripture. This is really, really important. Did anybody ever do the whole 10 can thing with the string in between it? Any of you do this? I did in my house growing up. It doesn't work very well, to be honest. Um, but uh, you guys know the concept, right? I've got my 10 can. I'm communicating something. I just want to remind you, when it comes to understanding God's word, that it's important that we strive to understand the context that that truth was communicated in. What did the person communicating truth want to say to me? And I want to use this example. If I asked you, this is a, uh, this is a game I want to play together with. So if I asked you today, uh, after the church service, to put the trunk in the trunk, can you use your creative imagination to figure out what I'm asking you to do? All right? So we have this. Okay, put the trunk in the trunk. Are you guys awake enough to have done this? All right. So you've got my trunk in the trunk or the trunk in the trunk, or you've got this all figured out, right? So I'm guessing for some of you, when I said that, you used your context clues. The teachers in the room would say, way to go. So context clues. All right. We would guess that Sean might be speaking of a trunk like this. Was this what came to mind? A few of you? Some of you are like, nope, that's not the trunk I was thinking of. Or um, so put something like this into something like this. This is what probably some of you thought, right? A couple of you are like, yeah, all right, A plus. Um, but, but there are so many other trunks that I could have spoken about, right? So, so let's, let's play that game for a second. It could have been a, a tree trunk. You, know, you guys know what this is a picture of, right? This is a tree hugger, right? Um, the, uh, I just wanted to see if you're paying attention. Dad joke there. But, uh, but a tree trunk, we use that language all the time. There's all kinds of different types of trunks. Let me throw a couple more up here. So um, this, this is, I, I don't even know what kind of insect this is, but according to the dictionary, that middle portion of many insects would be considered 
considered their trunk or in our bodies. We have a trunk. I won't show you a picture of a trunk in a trunk of a human body, but you can think of maybe a mannequin or you can think of some of you in the bottom right here. You work in telecommunications and you know that this is a trunk of wires that's described uh, in this way, a package of wires. Or in the top right section there, the trunk of a boat uh, that's at sea level. It's an interesting thing. But for some of you, like Sean, the obvious trunk is, is this one, right? Uh, put the trunk in the trunk. I think he's trying to get his trunk in the trunk there, right? So, so let's be frank, all right? Stick with me for a second. Language and communication is difficult. It's especially difficult when you're trying to traverse centuries of information that have been communicated. So you hear me say this often, praise the Lord. Through our understanding of the Holy Spirit, we have access to the author of Scripture. Praise the Lord for that. Isn't that wonderful? But beyond that, it's important for us to also understand, when I say, when I say understand the context of what I said this in, it is appropriate if you really do care what I meant when I said put the trunk in the trunk, that you start to think, what do I know about Sean? What do I, what do I know about what he's trying to communicate to me? What do I know about? So, so if we were talking about elephants, as far as I can tell, I haven't seen too many elephants around Hope Church. And so you could eliminate some things, right? So when it comes to understanding interpretation, this is important, is that it's important for us to put our hearts and minds into the context of the person who would have originally written this. So, so what's beautiful about understanding scripture is that we can, we can take something like the Apostle Paul's writing and we can say, how did he use it in that sentence? How did he use that in that chapter? How did he use it in that book? How did he use it in all the other times that he writes scripture? In that time period, how did they use that word? What was the common usage of that term? And what happens is that we go through the energetic process of trying to understand the there and then so that we can bring it into the here and now. It's a really important process to accurately understand scripture. So I'm going to go back to my 10, 10 string liar thing, right? And, and to say the 10 string liar thing would have been something that those original recipients of it, they just knew it. They used it. It was common. And they, they understood we're talking about that instrument that David's referring to. You and I today don't exactly know what that instrument was, but what we can understand about the other Psalms that David has written is that he's talking about glorifying the Lord with everything we've got, right? And so, so we are people who want to be committed to understanding the who. Who's saying this? Why did they say? What was the purpose behind it? What, what was the reasoning behind it? Were they responding to something in time? When did they say it? So, so if we're talking about a car trunk, if this was written a thousand years ago, we don't have to worry about that one, right? So, so when was it said? Why was it said? And how was it said? What's the, the format, the genre, the, the style that it was written in? And then what we can start to do is we can start to get a better understanding of the thing that was being written about. So that's what we want to do. We want to do the hard work of rightly handling the word of truth. So, so I teased you guys earlier about not greeting me with a holy kiss. I'm still offended by it. Okay. But, but what we want to understand about, I want to use that as an example. So, so when the Apostle Paul said to greet one another with a holy kiss, one of the things that I believe that he was saying when he recorded that in 2 Corinthians 13, 12, greet one another with a holy kiss, is that in its context, remember my rule about putting it back in its context, we, he says this in, in 1 Corinthians, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. He says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration, for comfort of one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 
all the saints greet you. So now we put it back in its context. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, be nice to one another. Be kind to one another. When you gather together, go out of your way to acknowledge people's presence, to care about them. And so the principle that he's saying to the church, this is so important. We can't chuck the principle out. So we can't just say, none of us do that holy kiss thing anymore because it's weird. Um, but, but what we, we can do is ignore the fact that the Apostle Paul is saying, be kind when you come into the context of one another. So we do this in a bunch of ways, right? The fist bump, uh, the hug, the, the greeting. The, in our culture, we have different ways that we greet one another. And maybe it's not with a holy kiss. I'll be honest, I've been in cultures, like we said, where they do the holy kiss thing and it makes sense. Uh, and, and in America, in Brunswick, Ohio, it does not make sense, right? Um, because of the fact that it's just a cultural difference. So that doesn't mean that we ignore the principle completely. Do you understand why that's so important? Is by chucking the principle out completely, we actually give ourselves an excuse that God hasn't given us to ignore the truth of Scripture. Do you think we can get better at greeting one another? I do. I think we can. Do you think the church can get better with greeting one another? I do. I think we can. And so it's important for us to accept that there are other examples. And we're going to head into a study through First and Second Corinthians. And for some of you, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be challenging. We're going to talk about some things like head coverings that show up in First Corinthians 11.1. And for some of you, you're going to look at this and you're going to say, wait a second, why aren't we doing that? This doesn't make sense. But what's great about it is as we study it, when we use this commitment to studying scripture well, we, we may find ourselves evaluating head coverings more like the way you and I look at a wedding ring in our society. And there's, there's reasons why there was, there was a distinction between a person who was married and not married and appropriate and under authority and not under authority. And, and what I'm trying to challenge you to be is the person who doesn't just say because Sean said so that we trust it. I'm trying to avoid that right now. And what I'm trying to do is for you to be able to say, yeah, I believe that this is the right thing for us to do or not to do. And it takes a lot of work for us to do that. And so as we go through this, I just want to encourage you that you have the ability. No, we can't jump in the DeLorean and go back in time and see the way that it was back in the day. Um, but we can still understand the there and then. And we have wonderful resources for this. The one in the, the bottom right of your screens, Manor and Customs of Biblical Times, is a great resource. There's online versions of many of these dictionaries and uh, things that help us to understand Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. And there's so many things, atlases. You know, it's, it's so interesting to me to have walked on the Sea of Galilee, beside the Sea of Galilee. I didn't walk on the Sea of Galilee. That's weird. Um, but uh, walking beside the Sea of Galilee, there's this, this place where they believe that Mary um, was born. And um, there is a millstone factory that's there today, like the remnants of it. So it's kind of like going to Berea, if you've been in Berea, where they have all these millstones around, you know, the grinding wheels. And there's these massive millstones there. And, and you just kind of find yourself walking there. And you can, can ju just picture Jesus with the disciples saying, it'd be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and tossed to the depths of the sea than to cause one of the least of my children to stumble. And you kind of piece this together and you kind of go, oh, that's really fascinating. Or to understand the Mount of Olives is just right around the corner to where Jesus was going to give his life up willingly for, to the cross. And so putting things in their cultural context and their historical context, even their geographical context, it's helpful for you to do that. So 
So it's not, there's nothing wrong with all of those extra words that are on a Bible, the, the descriptions and commentary, uh, but it's important to just make sure you're clear that it's when it is and isn't scripture. So we must not neglect the biblical context. So here's an example of neglecting the biblical context. Um, so if I said to you, God's word teaches that there is no God, you'd say that's silly, right? Uh, but, but there's a great verse that says that in Psalm chapter 14, verse 1. But if you establish it in its context, it says this, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. And then he goes on to describe that fool as being corrupt. They, they do abominable deeds and there's no one who does good. So, so, so it would be foolish to take that one sentence. Let me give you another example of this. It says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Some people have used this passage. In fact, I have family members and uh, it's a sad story, but a family members who got involved in a cult that use this kind of passage of scripture to define a type of food laws and requirements that would be placed on Christians that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you read it and then you say, well, wait a second, put it back in its context. Literally, he says this statement to believers, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? He's literally saying, this is foolish. Referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. They sound right in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They're useless. Do you get this? And so some people might take scripture and it might sound really spiritual. They might even do it in front of a wooden pew or a hymn, or whatever this thing is. What's this called? Uh, they, they might do it in front of, a, of, a, of a, something like this where they just stand up. <laughs> they stand up. You guys are mean to me right now. You're making fun of me. I'm so glad my daughters aren't here right now. Uh, I think my mom and dad are watching. Hi, mom and dad. Um, that that they would stand and they'd, they'd look like pastors, they'd be spiritual. Some of you are wrestling with this today. That there are people who are attempting to undermine the very authority and clarity of scripture. I want you to know that this morning, somebody came up to me afterwards, after the first service, and they're wrestling with this. And they, they said, I'm afraid that as we talk about this, that it could undermine a person's understanding of the authority of scripture. And I understand what they're saying, but I want to remind you, if you're paying attention in the world that we live in, there's a lot of people who want to do this right now. And they want to do it from a perspective of evil, that they want to twist the truth in order to make you go, yeah, I just want to chuck it all. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, what's it have to say to me? And I'll just tell you that that's not consistent with what God told us that we need to do when it comes to understanding the truth of God's word. I don't want you... To, you remember my story about the 10, 10 ways that you know the Bible's not true. I, I, I'll tell you what I did, and I've shared this before from this pulpit. I know what it's called. Um, I've shared it before um, from this pulpit, and that is that um, there was a, this, you know, my first reaction when this teacher wrote this was, I mean, obviously it was, it was harsh what she was doing, and she thought she was being clever. It was to call my youth pastor up. Hey, Tony, tell me what this means. I need help. Or, you know, I, I, I tried to find somebody to spiritually solve it that was smarter than me, to be honest. And you know what he did? It was such a gift for me. 
is he said, John, it's time for you to figure this out on your own. Why do you believe the Bible's true? Do you believe the Bible's true? He knew I grew up in a church where I was taught to me that way. I grew in a family that loved God's word, but he was challenging me to determine in my heart if it was time for me to study it for myself. And that was beautiful. And you know what happened in that process? is I found myself more established, more confident, more willing to die for this than anything else in my life ever. Do you understand? So, so this could shake you, uh, but I'll just warn you, if, if you're letting this shake you, then you're probably not going to be able to handle a coworker, or a classmate, a parent, a child, uh, a person who's around you who asks these really hard questions about the authority of God's word. They'll, they'll have you for lunch if you haven't asked these questions. I'll just tell you. But if you have and you've wrestled with it, one of the things that you can do in the, as you rightly handle the word of truth is to hold it up as being the living word of God. And it's awesome. And I'll tell you, that's changed my life, being able to do that. Would you join me in praying that the Lord would give us wisdom as we strive to understand him in this area? Lord, we love you. And uh, I, I almost feel like it's trite uh, to, to say that there are people in our society that look at Christianity in general and would want to under, um, undercut the very foundation of it, to, to call it irrelevant, to call us inconsistent, um, to, to accuse Christ followers of picking and choosing uh, what it is that they call the word of God. And I just pray for each one of us as we study your word that we would be people who rightly handle it personally, that uh, we would trust you. And I, and I just, I love the song that we're about to sing. It's just such, a, such an affirmation, Lord, of your goodness. When we think about the stuff that we've been studying, that it's through your word that we can even identify our own identity more accurately than, than a mirror, more accurately than what others say about us in the world, that we can understand our identity through the God who knows us perfectly, who invented us, who designed us on purpose and for a purpose. And so as we sing this song, who, do you, who you say that I am, Lord, that I pray that we would declare this, recognizing that we've chosen to take you at your word in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.